This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Yesterday, Dominion and Fox News agreed to settle their $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit for $787.5 million. And I've got to say that I feel really disappointed by the outcome here. I don't want to say that all of this has amounted to nothing, but it really feels as if there could have been more accountability for Fox News because what they're forced to pay isn't sufficient, I think, to deter future bad behavior of them. And my ultimate goal, and this was wishful thinking that I didn't expect to materialize, would be that this lawsuit would uh, bankrupt them. But I mean, my realistic goal, however, was more humiliation if Fox News and Dominion went to trial, but they did not. Now, for those of you who haven't really been following the case, here's some very basic details courtesy of the Washington Post. At issue in the case were false claims that Fox aired about Dominion related to former President Donald Trump's false accusations about the 2020 election being stolen. Dominion had to prove not only that the claims weren't true, which it did, but that Fox's actions met the legal standard of actual malice, meaning that it knew better or that that it showed a reckless disregard for the truth. And they arguably did prove that. You have actual text messages and exchanges between on-air hosts like Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and that certainly was a humiliating element of this entire kerfuffle. But it still feels as if Dominion should not have settled. And by settling, they gave Fox News a dub. And my feelings here were summarized perfectly by David Dole on Twitter, who said they could have had more money while bringing down Fox News along with it. Yeah, exactly. So all they had to do was wait a little bit longer, go to trial, force Fox News to defend themselves, and they probably would have won. Even the judge said that it was crystal clear that Fox News aired incorrect information. So all they had to do was prove malice in their lawsuit. And that, that would have been it. You could, you could have had them. You had them in the crosshairs, Dominion, and you, you let go. So the overall impact on Fox News is going to be minimal. And again, I think that this is a huge relief for Fox News. I think that Rupert Murdoch and the executives there are breathing a lot easier now because Dominion agreed to settle. And it feels like a capitulation. And ultimately, I think this is a win for Fox News. And Robert Reich echoed that same sentiment in an op-ed for Common Dreams, where he argues the Fox Corporation has an estimated value of around $17 billion. The settlement amounts to a cost of doing business for Fox. Exactly. The settlement also means that Fox's major figures, including Rupert Murdoch, the chairman of Fox Corporation and Fox hosts, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, and Maria Bartiromo, won't have to testify. Dominion may have protected its trademark, but it hasn't protected American democracy. Nothing about the lawsuit or its settlement has been aired on Fox News. Fox viewers continue to be in the dark about all of it. Trump's big lie, Fox's amplification, 
publication of the big lie, the lawsuit and the emails and pretrial testimony showing that Fox News and its hosts knew it was all a big lie. Yeah. So all of that goes out the window now because Dominion chose to make this business decision and settle. It's not just that I wanted this to cost Fox News money. It needed to cost them legitimacy. And to the extent that it has at this point, I think that the people who have seen the text messages that Tucker Carlson sent during the 2020 election, those are people who are already predisposed to not like Fox News. But this needed to be big, big enough so that way Fox News viewers who are brainwashed by this corporation won't be able to miss it. But because of this, Fox News can kind of do what they wanted to do and sweep this under the rug and continue to lie because now the cost is uh, less than a billion dollars. Not going to be enough to bankrupt them. It's certainly painful for them, I'm sure, and the humiliation that they have suffered currently certainly isn't great for them, but it isn't merely enough. Like, this is not a proportionate level of accountability considering how terrible their lies were. It led to an insurrection, arguably. They were part of that. They were culpable for the January 6th insurrection. Trump was the most culpable, in my opinion, but Fox News stoked the flames. Put us on the brink of a civil war, and tensions are still very high, and all they had to do was uh, settle. They don't have to go to trial, defend themselves publicly, nothing. So that, it just feels so frustrating to me, because Dominion, you had a chance, and you fucking fumbled. But there is still hope because, as HuffPost explains, Fox is still facing a separate but related defamation suit from Smartmatic USA Corp. The voting machine company has sued for $2.7 billion over similar claims to those of Dominion. In other words, there still is a chance. But am I a lot less optimistic now, given the way that the Dominion lawsuit played out? Yes. And also, it's still hard to not think about what could have been if Fox News lost and had to pay $1.6 On top of that, $2.7 billion. We're talking about billions of dollars, which could possibly bankrupt the company. It's unlikely, but still, the fact that there was a possibility there was important. And I think that these sensationalist headlines about how this would definitely bring down Fox News, that was a bit of a stretch. It was always a stretch. But with that being said, I think that it's important that we have at least a minimal level of accountability in this culture when massive institutions spread lies that are hurtful to democracy. And we just didn't get that here. Now, for those hoping that Rupert Murdoch would be forced to shutter Fox News and hosts like Tucker Carlson would be humiliated permanently and delegitimized, one thing that I need people to understand is even if the best case scenario were to come to fruition with regard to both of these lawsuits, right? Dominion won. Smartmatic one, understand that even if Fox News went away like that, we live in a system where profits are the main priority. And Fox News proved that spreading right wing propaganda is uh, very, very lucrative. So even if Fox News went the way of the dodo, there would be a new news outlet that would emerge to be as equally popular as Fox News. I am absolutely confident about that. So regardless if Fox News exists or not, we will have to deal with the problem of right-wing media in this country in perpetuity unless we have actual reform, unless we strengthen democracy and teach people media literacy. But even if Fox News were to go away, we still have corporate media in general, which is a problem. So the media problem, it doesn't just go away 
with Fox News. So certainly Fox News is like the biggest culprit when it comes to misinformation, but we still don't have objective non-corporate sources in this country that are large, right? We have independent media, we have alternative news sources, but certainly the biggest, most sweeping institutions in this country are the ones where most Americans get their news from. I mean, sure, more people get their news from the internet, but they're not just automatically going to YouTube or to democracy now. They're watching CNN and Fox News online. So just changing the method of consumption doesn't necessarily change the news that they're getting. So ultimately, we have a bigger battle at our hands, and that is trying to decommodify news and make sure that people are getting non-corporate, non-biased, objective information. And Fox News is a huge part of the problem, but it goes deeper than Fox News. And as a society, we have to figure out how to deal with that, if we even can at this point, which is doubtful in my opinion. So many terrible ideas are being proposed in Florida and so many bad laws are being passed that it's almost impossible to keep up on a daily basis. Ron DeSantis is destroying the state of Florida, all in an effort to presumably prove to the Republican Party's far right base that he's the most extreme politician in the country and you should vote for him in 2024 over Donald Trump. Now, regardless if that strategy pays off or not for him, he is literally destroying the lives of millions of people that live in that state. Now, on Thursday evening, he announced that he signed the Heartbeat Protection Act into law, and he doesn't tell you specifically what this does, but this is a near-total abortion ban that prohibits all abortions after six weeks. Now, Florida's existing abortion law was already fairly draconian. One woman literally almost died because she was forced to give birth to a non-viable fetus, but now, in order to legally obtain an abortion in Florida, you basically need to seek out an abortion before you even know that you're pregnant which effectively makes this a total abortion ban. But what about the victims of rape or incest? Well, don't you worry because the reasonable Republicans in Florida were gracious enough to include exceptions. And here's what those exceptions are. As People Magazine explains, on Thursday, DeSantis announced that he signed the Heartbeat Protection Act into law, which will now require a woman to provide proof that the pregnancy was a result of rape, incest, or human trafficking in order to receive an abortion up until 15 weeks of gestation. Now, before we've talked about how states with exceptions for instances of rape or to save the life of the mother, they actually aren't very good because usually these laws are written in very vague ways so as to not give doctors enough confidence that they won't be prosecuted if they perform the abortion that is technically legal, right? But in this instance here, what actually counts as proof of rape? Well, it can be medical records, restraining orders, or police reports, but what if you don't have that, as is the case in many uh, instances of rape? Too bad, you will be forced to have your rapist's baby. And even if you do have proof, well, you better present it within the first 15 weeks of your pregnancy, otherwise you're still screwed. How merciful of the Florida Republican Party. Now, I need to remind you that Florida already had a relatively strict abortion law on the books. Again, it almost killed people. That's how restrictive it was. And 75% of Floridians, including 61% of Republicans even, opposed a six-week abortion ban, according to a poll by the University of uh, North Florida. But Ron DeSantis, he didn't care. 
He doesn't care about what the people want. It's all about him and virtue signaling to the GOP's far-right national base, all about getting him through a GOP primary. But it gets even worse because Florida has also led the way when it comes to anti-LGBTQ plus extremism, and it started out with their notoriously homophobic Don't Say Gay law, and they also recently banned life-saving gender-affirming care for trans youth, and it's gotten so bad that the state's largest queer civil rights organization has issued a travel advisory instructing people to avoid the state if they can, if they happen to be queer. As ABC News reports, Equality Florida says the advisory issued Wednesday was prompted by the passage of laws that are hostile to the LGBTQ community, restrict access to reproductive health care, repeal gun safety laws, foment racial prejudice, and attack public education by banning books and censoring curriculum. The organization is urging families to consider relocation, asking students to reconsider attending colleges and universities in the state, and recommending that conference and event hosts relocate out of the state. Now, this advisory comes as a majority of queer parents are currently considering leaving the state over anti-LGBTQ policies, and in response to news that queer people are basically being forced to flee the state because it's become so hostile towards queer people, well, Ron DeSantis's press secretary, Christina Pushaw publicly encouraged this by tweeting a hand-waving emoji in response to a survey that confirms that queer families are indeed fleeing the state as a result of anti-LGBTQ plus extremism. So this is who we're dealing with here. In response to news that their policies are forcing people out of their own state, what are they saying? Bye. Sorry, they're not rethinking their extremism. They're not thinking maybe we're going too far. And Florida really is a state that welcomes everyone, even folks who have lifestyles that we disagree with. No, they're not even saying that anymore. They're saying, adios, if you don't like it, too bad. The goal is to get them to flee the state. That's what we're dealing with. But as horrifyingly extreme as that sounds, forcing LGBTQ plus families to flee the state is actually a more compassionate response by the Florida Republican Party, considering that legal experts now believe that Florida may be laying the legal groundwork to execute LGBTQ plus people, literally. Henry Guardiana of Into explains, Florida has somehow become an even more lethal place to live for queer and trans Americans thanks to the passage of two new bills. The first, SB 1342, stipulates that sexual child abuse and acts of pedophilia may be punishable by the death penalty. The second bill would make it easier for a jury to send the accused to the gallows. According to Reuters, the bill allows juries to recommend the death penalty in capital cases on an 8-4 to four vote instead of a unanimous vote. Now, what does this have to do with with queer people? Well, if you've been paying attention to what's been going on in Florida this year, you'll know that Ron DeSantis is trying his best to have queer and trans citizens as well as their allies labeled as child abusers for simply helping trans kids get access to gender-affirming health care. And now in Missouri, the nation's first ban on trans health care for adults has passed. Naturally, the idea that conservatives could be well within their legal right to label queer people pedophiles and then advance a death penalty sentence has queer and trans Americans worried for the safety of those stuck in the Sunshine State. While the second bill is being framed as a response to the Parkland shooter's actions, the timing seems just a bit suspicious. Now, let me remind you that the first major anti-LGBTQ plus move made by DeSantis' administration was the Don't Say Gay law, which was accompanied by a smear campaign against queer teachers who were labeled as groomers if they simply admit that they're trans or married to someone of the same gender. If you have a picture of you and your spouse, well, sorry, you're exposing the kids to 
queer ideology and you are therefore a groomer. Now, at the same time, at the national level, we've seen right-wingers adopt the same language when it comes to parents who seek out gender-affirming care for their child with gender dysphoria. If you treat your kid with gender-affirming care, well, you're also labeled as a child abuser, a groomer, or potentially even a pedophile. But that's the context that all of this is happening in. These laws aren't being proposed in a vacuum. They're coming in the midst of a massive nationwide campaign to label queer people as child abusers or threats to children. Think of the way that they talk about drag queens, for example. Now, let's look at the language, with that being said, being used in this bill that's being proposed about pedophiles, supposedly. As UC Santa Cruz PhD candidate Eli Ehrlich points out, more people should be discussing Florida's SB 1342, which uses vague language to allow the death penalty for parents and doctors that support trans kids. And as you can see, the text vaguely refers here to, quote, destroying innocence or injuring sexual organs of children, all language used to demonize parents and doctors who support gender-affirming care for trans youth. Now, she also points to a graphic shared by Ron DeSantis months ago and adds, genital surgery isn't being provided to 12-year-olds, but the right doesn't care. They'll find some, quote, research that mentions puberty blockers or hormones change genitalia, which can actually happen, and count it as a death penalty level injury. So they're claiming that these bills are are targeting pedophiles. But after they've demonized queer people for months and tried to associate them with groomers and pedophiles, and they've demonized LGBTQ plus people as threats to children, I think that queer people are right to be concerned that Florida is going to try to apply these laws to drag queens or parents with trans kids in an effort to try to kill them. Furthermore, after the shooting in Dallas by a trans person, the right made it their mission to use that as evidence that all trans people are violent. So what we're seeing here is new, vaguely written bills being proposed amid a nationwide demonization campaign against queer people. That right there is why the travel advisory was issued, because the right... I mean, it looks like they're gearing up for a genocide, and Florida is ground zero. So people are right to be concerned. So with that being said, Florida is no longer known for being the sunshine state and, and good vibes and, and a party location. It is a state where fascists have seized control and made it inhospitable to millions of people. And I'd be remiss to not point out the state party's attempts to ban their opposition party and force bloggers who criticize the executive to register with the state. The latter two proposals probably won't be codified into law, but the mere fact that they're even being floated gives you some insight into the mentality of the state Republican Party in Florida. They are explicit authoritarian and that's not hyperbole anyone who cares about democracy or civil rights and civil liberties or just basic humanity should be horrified at what's happening in florida and so when you see every single thing that's being proposed it is not alarmism to suggest that this is some way that they're trying to inadvertently demonize queer people there's a reason why these laws are written in such vague ways right so we should be worried about what's happening in florida because Florida has led the way in anti-LGBTQ plus demonization, and now they're setting new standards when it comes to reproductive health care. And that is absolutely horrifying. So any businesses in Florida need to pull out? There needs to be a nationwide boycott of the state given 
how terrible things have gone because it'll only get worse. The situation will only continue to deteriorate if we just pretend as if this is some normal conservative administration. No, this is not business as usual in Florida. This is extremism. This is authoritarianism. This is fascism. And we are seeing it happen before our very eyes. And action needs to be taken to try to rein that in before it's too late. Senator Dianne Feinstein, who is approximately 1,273 years old, is reportedly in cognitive decline. And to make matters worse, she's been missing Senate judiciary hearings for months now because she has a really bad case of the shingles, likely made worse by her old age. Now, this is a problem because her absence has led to Biden's judicial appointments being stalled. They can't be confirmed without her being there. Now, given that our civil rights and civil liberties are under attack by far-right Federalist Society judges, I'd argue that confirming new judges should be one of, if not the highest priority for Democrats. I mean, this is really the one area where Biden can actually make a difference as president. But because Dianne Feinstein chose to cling to power rather than resign, it's created this issue for Democrats. Now, what they need to do is exert pressure on her to resign, but they don't want to do that. And I get it. That's uncomfortable to have that conversation with a colleague. But the compromise here is uh, unreasonable, in my opinion. Chuck Schumer is trying to temporarily replace her so that way the work can continue. The problem is that replacing her on this committee, even if it's temporarily, requires unanimous consent. Now, ask yourself this question. Do you think that Republicans are going to go along with that? No, Republicans predictably are not going along with that. And they're benefiting from this absence. So what would possess you to think that they're suddenly going to allow a temporary replacement so Biden's judicial appointments can be confirmed? Who is naive enough to think that they would go along with that? Well, apparently Chuck Schumer. HuffPost reports, a pair of Republicans who serve on the powerful Senate Judiciary Committee made clear they won't vote to replace the 89-year-old California Democrat on the panel as she has requested due to health issues that have kept her away from Washington for nearly two months. Shocker here. Quote, I will not go along with Chuck Schumer's plan to replace Senator Feinstein on the Judiciary Committee and pack the court with activist judges. Joe Biden wants the Senate to rubber stamp his unqualified and controversial judges to radically transform America. That's <laughs> how ironic. Senator Marsha Blackburn tweeted on on Monday. Senator Tom Cotton also urged Republicans over the weekend to not assist Democrats in confirming Joe Biden's most radical nominees to the courts. So this is not shocking. The only thing that's shocking about this is that only two Republicans have said that they're not going to go along with this publicly. But this was obviously always going to be what they do. Republicans are going to Republican. So this was never a realistic solution in the first place. What is a realistic solution, even if it is uncomfortable for Democrats to say this, is to get Dianne Feinstein to fucking retire. But she's refusing to retire. And as a result, she is single-handedly jeopardizing progress in the one area where, again, Biden can actually make a difference as president. As Mark Joseph Stern put it, by refusing to retire, Feinstein is making it impossible for Senate Democrats to push through the kind of diverse and progressive nominees whom Biden championed in his first two years. His track record on nominations is suddenly falling badly behind. This is an absolute disaster. He continues here, the fact that so few Senate Democrats will speak honestly about 
about their Feinstein problem is incredibly damning. It shows that they'd rather shield the feelings of their friend than confirm diverse progressive nominees to lifetime judgeships. They're making their priorities clear. And he's right about that. The collective response from Democrats has basically been very, very wishy-washy. There's been a couple of Democrats, to their credit, who have spoken out and called on Feinstein to resign, Ro Khanna being one, Amy Klobuchar being another, to her credit. But other Democrats, even ones who you would expect to do better, aren't willing to do that. Even Bernie Sanders is saying, mm, no, I don't think it's right to force her to resign. Now, I understand Bernie Sanders, who is also a very old senator, doesn't want to be in this position where you base whether or not somebody should retire on their age. But it's not about age, right? It's not about age at all. In fact, I'd argue the fact that Dianne Feinstein is super duper old doesn't make her unqualified. What makes her unqualified and unfit to serve is the fact that she is in cognitive decline and is incapable of doing her job. So you can be 500 years old. I don't care. So long as you're all there and you're able to perform the duties that the people elected you to do, you can stay there. Nobody's arguing that you should be forced to retire as soon as you reach a certain age. We're not proposing age limits. We're simply reasonably asking you to step down if you can no longer fulfill your obligations. But that isn't the overall message from Democrats. It's a mixed message. HuffPost continues, Democrats appear divided over how to handle Feinstein's absence. Some progressives, including Representative Ro Khanna, have called for her to retire early before her planned end of 2024 date in order to allow Biden to confirm judicial nominees. The fate of abortion rights and LGBT rights in the federal courts are too important for any single person, they've argued. Senator Amy Klobuchar, who also sits on the Judiciary Committee, said that Democrats have many crucial votes coming up, including on the debt ceiling that would require the California senator's presence. But then you have other senators saying the opposite, quote, the decision about whether somebody should resign rests on that individual themselves, Senator Bernie Sanders told MSNBC's Inside with Jen Psaki. Quote, I don't think she should be forced out. Rare Bernie L here. Quote, we believe a senator should be able to make their own judgments about when they're retiring, added Senator Kirsten Gillibrand during a Sunday interview on CNN's State of the Union. Quote, she has the right, in my opinion, to decide when she steps down. Now, on top of that, you have Nancy Pelosi implying that Ro Khanna is sexist and anyone else is sexist if they dare to suggest that Dianne Feinstein retire. Now, I really need politicians, including Bernie Sanders, apparently, to understand understand that this isn't about them. This isn't about Dianne Feinstein. This isn't about any one politician. These politicians need to learn to decenter themselves from these conversations and realize this is about the people who they represent, their constituents. And Dianne Feinstein, factually speaking, has not been able to represent her constituents for years now. I mean, how long have we had reports that she's in cognitive decline? But this just makes matters worse. I mean, her inability to govern isn't just affecting her constituents, even it's affecting the entire country. And yet she chooses to selfishly cling to power despite doing active harm now. And let's be clear, Diane Feinstein is and always has been a very shitty senator. It's not like we're trying to protect her wonderful legacy. I mean, this is the same person who basically told little kids concerned about climate change to go fuck themselves. Remember that? Basically, any other corporate Democrat could replace her and nobody would notice. Nothing would really fundamentally change. The difference would be that you'd have one extra vote on the Senate Judiciary Committee to confirm Biden's nominations. 
but that's not happening. And now the same accusations of sexism are being floated, which was true with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Remember when there were calls for her to resign and Obama had a very gentle conversation trying to nudge her in that direction and she was defiant? Well, do I have to really remind everyone what happened after Ruth Bader Ginsburg selfishly chose to cling to power? Like, I know that there's a little bit of taboo against speaking ill of the dead and liberals are going to be mad that I'm bringing this up. Ruth Bader Ginsburg fucked over the entire country because she chose to cling to power. She could have retired under Obama, but she didn't. And as a result, she died during Trump's presidency. And I know that that wasn't her plan, but it happened. She died because she refused to retire when she had the chance to. And she was, re and she was replaced by Amy Coney Barrett, who voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. So it's not about these politicians. It's not sexist to suggest that somebody who is very old and ill should retire if they're unable to fulfill their obligations. This is about the American people and us having our rights protected, what's left of our rights protected. So any politician who is refusing to unequivocally call for her resignation immediately, they're wrong. And they're putting this one woman's ego above the civil rights and civil liberties of our entire fucking country. And I find that morally reprehensible. And I love Bernie Sanders, but he is so wrong here. I get that he's old too, and he doesn't want to be in a similar position. But I'm sorry, Bernie, if it comes to a point where you are no, no longer able to fulfill your obligations as a senator, people will be right to call on you to resign as well, but it hasn't reached that point. You can still fulfill your obligations. You're showing up to your committee hearings. You are still cognitively there. So this is about whether or not somebody cannot perform mentally and physically, and she cannot. So obviously she must resign. That's, that's the obvious solution. But Democrats are probably not gonna call on her to resign. And as a result, we're all gonna be fucked. Why? Because of this one lady's ego. It's just pathetic, but, you know, she could have retired literally decades ago and just, like, taken all of her millions of dollars and just chilled on her yacht. But she chose to cling to power for selfish reasons, and now even when she is sick and cannot fulfill her obligation, she still refuses to give up power. And it's just... It's sick. These elites, again, are not the main characters, and somebody needs to tell them that them being in power, it's not about them, it's about us. You represent us. So when you can't represent us, step the fuck aside and allow someone who can do your job. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Chris Tyson from Mr. Beast's videos, also a longtime friend of Mr. Beast, recently came out as gender non-conforming. And the response from Chris's friends, all part of Mr. Beast's videos, including Mr. Beast himself, was incredibly wholesome. They all showered Chris with love and adoration and said that they support them throughout this journey unconditionally. And it was just a very human thing to see. Right-wingers, of course, took issue with that, and it has led to a bunch of videos being posted by transphobes where they sort of try to concern troll over Chris and about the impact that their trans identity is going to have on Mr. Beast. Let me give you one example of that. So YouTuber Relalyn tweeted out about Sunny V2 and a video that they posted where they basically just weirdly concern troll over Chris Tyson coming out as trans, arguing Chris will soon be a nightmare for Mr. Beast. 
because the argument is that it'll cost Mr. Beast financially due to a lack of support because transphobes won't want to watch the video. The video itself was dog shit. I didn't watch the whole thing, but it was bad. Now, in response to this, Relevant writes, this new Sunny V2 video really feels invasive for all the wrong reasons. Like, why did you make this? You delved into the man's marriage and shit. It just really is off-putting and unnecessary. Now, this actually prompted Mr. Beast's response saying, yeah, this is getting absurd. Chris isn't my nightmare. He's my fucking friend and things are fine. All this transphobia is starting to piss me off. And that's just one of many examples. If you log on to TikTok, there's bizarre videos uh, where people are trying to overanalyze the interactions between Mr. Beast and Chris. And they're trying to make it seem as if Chris is making Mr. Beast feel uncomfortable by sitting too closely to him. It's just very weird. Like you can tell that these transphobes are trying to pit Chris against Mr. Beast, but these two individuals individuals are longtime friends and to try to drive them apart really shows how deranged and obsessed transphobes are but notice something mr beast he hasn't suddenly changed his content and become some vocal trans activists with his youtube account like he's not using his massive youtube channel to say hey everyone you should support trans rights he's simply being a normal person by saying i support my trans friend but even that is too far for bigots because to remain pure in their eyes, really what Mr. Beast has to do is unequivocally reject his friend despite their years of friendship. And um, since Mr. Beast is not doing that, well, right-wingers are melting down. Ollie London, for example, claimed it was wrong to call YouTubers concerned trolling about Chris transphobic, uh, but it's not wrong. It's accurate, and these YouTubers and these content creators who are trying to profit off of this are talking about really personal family issues with Chris that they're not privy to. Like, they're not privy to the reason why Chris got a divorce. They don't know about these things, but they're speculating because they're trying to drive transphobia. Now, also, Elijah Schaefer disingenuously claims that Mr. Beast misgendered Chris, but Chris has not designated new pronouns, and currently they claim that they go by any and all pronouns. But you can see how they're really trying to pit Mr. Beast against his friend here. Now, also, right-wing fuckface Steven Crowder dedicated an entire live stream to Mr. Beast Beast's response, accusing him of shoving the trans agenda on children. And chief transphobe himself, Matt Walsh, accused Mr. Beast of selling out to the quote trans cult. So you can see that they're not taken kindly to Mr. Beast not denouncing his own friend. But it's a little bit ironic that a Christian nationalist like Matt Walsh would accuse everyone else of being in a cult. But I want to remind you again that all of this hysteria is based on him simply remaining friends with someone who came out as trans. That's why they're so upset. Now let's watch a little bit of Matt Walsh's video just so you get a sense of how obsessed and deranged these fucking freaks are. And now that he's gone down this road, there's really no coming back. You can expect much more pro-trans content from Mr. Beast going forward, which means that if you're a parent and you allow your child to watch Mr. Beast videos, now is a very good time to stop allowing that. We, we could probably assume that Mr. Beast would prefer not to have to deal with this, but Tyson has forced him to make a choice, and, uh, and he chose, and he chose wrong. This is really the common thread. Tyson is forcing this onto people who are close to him. Transitioning is wrong always and every time, uh, first because it's impossible. You, you cannot transition from one sex to the other. But even if we lived in the sort of science fiction universe where such a thing was possible, 
it would still be wrong to do it when you're married and you have a child. Like if I believed in the reality of transitioning, I would still say that by the time you get married and conceive a child, the transition ship has sailed. It is your responsibility now. It's your obligation to suppress that part of you and live as the man that your wife and child need you to be. Oh, well, how reasonable of him. Just suppress it and be miserable for the rest of your life. Presumably like Matt Walsh, whose obsession with trans people is merely a coincidence, I'm sure. These people are genuinely unhinged. And it's just, it's shocking to me that a video like that can get half a million views with people overwhelmingly agreeing that, yeah, everything that he's saying here is perfectly reasonable. Now, notice how he is explicitly calling on parents to not let their kids watch Mr. Beast, specifically because Chris is trans and a trans person being in a video, well, that makes it inherently political and in your face. But the simple inclusion of a trans person that doesn't make it political or even pro-trans. Trans people exist. So to have them in a video, apparently, according to Matt Walsh, that just automatically taints it. It taints Mr. Beast's entire channel. See, these right-wingers aren't outraged by specific trans people or vocal trans activists. It's trans existence that bothers them, full stop. And they're giving away the game here increasingly. They're saying the quiet part loud more frequently now. So think about how quickly things have escalated. Right-wingers first argue that they're not necessarily transphobic. Trans people should be free to live however they want. They simply just don't want gender ideology to be pushed on, pushed on their children. And that's where they take issue with trans people. But now they're just admitting, mm, actually, we don't like trans people. We think that being trans is inherently wrong and we need to eradicate transgender people. Oops, I mean eradicate transgenderism. We definitely don't mean genocide though. See, this is where we're at. And people like Matt Walsh have huge audiences and they're setting the agenda. So much so that Republican legislators and attorneys generals are listening. Vice reports, Missouri is the first state to severely restrict gender affirming care for transgender adults amid a nationwide GOP led push to legislate away trans rights. The state's attorney general, Andrew Bailey announced an emergency regulation on Thursday that aims to limit access to gender affirming care for Missourians by setting sweeping new rules for those seeking treatment. Quote, I will always fight to protect children because gender transition interventions are experimental, Bailey said in a statement. Science actually supports gender affirming care and it's not experimental. Now, let's just pause right there. That is how these things should be reported on. Vice News is correct to just lay out the facts. But understand that this attorney general, as he is announcing a ban on gender affirming care for adults, he's still citing children as his motivator. See, this is why many of us said that the whole think of the children argument was disingenuous from the start. They were hiding the ball. But as they literally now do the unthinkable, they still cloak their rhetoric in disingenuous concern trolling over children. But why? You're already just doing what you've been wanting to do. So why lie? Why gaslight us at this point? We know that you don't want trans people to exist, and this is you trying to eliminate trans people from existence. I mean, 
I don't have to tell you all because my audience knows this is going to kill trans people in Missouri because we're talking about an effective total ban on gender affirming care that is for, again, adults. Vice continues, the emergency rule makes it impossible for transgender people of all ages to access gender affirming care unless they have exhibited a medically documented, quote, long lasting, persistent and intense pattern of gender dysphoria for three years. They also have to prove they've received a full psychological or psychiatric assessment and 15 separate separate hourly sessions of therapy, at least 10 of which must be with the same therapist. This follows several anti-trans lobbyists and lawmakers who've attempted to falsely equate transness with severe mental illness. People seeking such care will have to be screened for autism and other pre-existing issues such as anxiety and depression, and pre-existing conditions must, quote, have been treated and resolved before a person can access gender-affirming care. Healthcare providers also have to check that a minor who is trans has received a comprehensive screening annually and isn't suffering from social media addiction. Care is also prohibited if healthcare workers don't check yearly whether a patient is experiencing social contagion with respect to the patient's gender identity. This is likely based on yet another GOP spread myth that transness is a trend or a craze. So this is an effective ban on gender affirming care for everyone in the state of Missouri. And sure, they're gonna cite the exceptions to make it sound as if they are reasonable, but there's a plethora of caveats and stipulations that give them the ability to deny gender affirming care to anyone, even if they theoretically qualify, including adults who should be able to make this decision for themselves. Now this goes into effect on April 27th and will remain in effect until 2024. So, like, I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but this is obviously them trying to eliminate trans people from existence. We're not just talking about a mere inconvenience for trans people here. We're talking about a policy that is literally going to kill trans people. But this was always the goal. It's not like that's going to deter them once they find out that denying gender affirming care to trans people increases suicidal ideation. That's their goal. So understand that Mr. Beast doesn't have to change anything about his content to become their enemy. The fact that he didn't reject his friend for being trans makes him inherently evil according to these deranged right-wingers because their goal is the complete and total elimination of trans people by any means necessary. And simply having a trans friend is antithetical to that genocidal goal, which is why they're targeting Mr. Beast and going against him so vociferously. And what they're gonna do, I'm, ass I'm assuming, is they're gonna continue to try to bully Mr. Beast until he gives into the mob and not only removes Chris from his videos, but repudiates transgenderism that he tried to push. But Mr. Beast, given you know what we've seen with his initial response, he's gonna continue to be an unconditional friend to Chris because they've been friends for a very long time, regardless of you know whether or not Chris is trans or not. And that's not gonna change anytime soon. So it seems like right-wingers chose the wrong YouTuber to fuck with because Mr. Beast has a far larger platform than any of these ghouls. And so if they really want to provoke Mr. Beast into becoming a real trans ally, well, they're going to end up inadvertently goading him into doing that. Because if you continue to poke the beast, well, then he might actually just come out and say, yeah, trans rights are human rights. And here's my video about that as well to my millions and millions of fans. I've known two or three hitmen that were very quiet guys. 
Yeah. And would cut no mercy. Yeah. In Louisiana. You just listened to a snippet of a conversation that took place on March 6th in McCurtain County, Oklahoma, following a Board of Commissioners meeting, and it featured several prominent local officials, including the county sheriff, Kevin Clardy, his investigator, and multiple commissioners. Now, a local newspaper, the McCurtain Gazette News, broke the story and they released a transcript of the conversation, but now we're getting the audio. Now, in the audio that you're about to listen to, they incriminate themselves. And to say that what they say is unhinged really would be an understatement. Not only do they allegedly plot the literal assassination of local journalists, but they also talk about their desire to assault and murder black people. It is genuinely deranged, and when you get more context after we listen to it, you'll understand how sociopathic these individuals are. So we're going to listen to a portion of the audio now, but before we do, just a content warning, obviously, you're going to hear very violent racist rhetoric that is deeply disturbing. But without further ado, here's what they said. If this back in the day, would that, like, would Alan Marshall take a damn blackjack, whoop their ass and throw them in the cell? I'd run for fucking chair. Yeah. Well, it's not like that no more. I know. We're taking them down <laughs> on a mud creek and hang them up with a damn rope. Yeah. But you can't and do the that. Thing about it, they got more rights than we got. What they really don't know is they... And that's, see, that's the thing about it. 20 years ago, I wouldn't have done something like that. I'm a, uh, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have put in a position. You know? They're insignificant in my life. Yes. Uh, really. They, they bring the whole thing. What goes around goes around it. It will. I told you it will. Yeah. Well, I know where two big deep holes are here in England. I got an escalator. Well, these are our free dugs. Yeah, but the thing of it is, you know. We actually told the truth. I know, I've known two or three hit men that were very quiet guys. Yeah. And would cut no fucking mercy. Yeah. In Louisiana. Because it was all mafia around yeah. Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but here's the reality. It's a hair on his wife's head. For Slimhand's head, or any of those people that really were behind all that, if the hair on their head got touched by anybody, who who would be the bad guys? Who'd you blame for? Yeah. On a bar body, you know, we wrap it up tenfold to preserve the body and stuff like that, and then we put the, get the, all the body parts and stuff like that, and uh, Kyla was out there too. All Kyla. the body part? Oh, she come apart? Yeah, it's the bark body. I know, I, I picked up one. And, uh, they really Cal fell apart when they're burnt? Man. Yeah. And you never had barbecue? That's another. Yeah. Same. I'm hungry. Yeah. Now, a lot of what they said doesn't really make sense because we don't have the full context, but when you learn about what they're talking about, it gets so much worse. So that last conversation about barbecue referenced a woman who died in a house fire and she went back in to save her dogs. That's when she died. That's what they're joking about there. So the Heartland Signal explains the transcript suggests that the group first started discussing a recent fire which killed a woman and her two dogs. The group joked about the woman's body parts falling off her body 
and that it is similar to eating barbecue. Now, as for the journalists, they were talking about assassinating, quote, Manning chimed in and claimed nobody would care if two of the Gazette News reporters were harmed. Quote, yeah, but here's the reality, Manning allegedly said. If a hair on his wife's head, Chris Willingham's head, or any of those people that really were behind that, if any hair on their head got touched by anybody, who would be the bad guy? The trio was supposedly frustrated with the Gazette News portraying the sheriff's office unfavorably in their reporting. Now, in the audio, you also allegedly heard Commissioner Mark Jennings referring to two pre-dug holes, and that was seemingly in reference to Gazette News reporters uh, Bruce Willingham and his son, Chris Willingham. Now, as for the racism, I mean, there's really no additional context there. They just want to be able to kill black people. That's it. Now, Commissioner Jennings, who is the one that claimed he would run for sheriff if you could still legally violently attack and assault and, and kill black people, he claims that black people have more rights. And you heard this in the audio. He claims that black people have more rights than white people because you can't legally murder them. I mean, these people are genuinely disturbed mentally and they should be in no position of power now since the audio leaked the fbi has opened an investigation into them obviously since they are literally caught plotting an assassination allegedly and it's so bad that oklahoma's governor kevin stitt has also called on all of these officials heard here to resign and i just want to emphasize here that in order for a republican to call on other republicans to resign i mean a sheriff's position like these positions are nonpartisan, but they're conservative. They identify with the Republican Party. But in, or in order for a Republican to say other Republicans need to resign, it has to be for something pretty fucking bad. So it gives you a sense of the gravity of the situation. If the Republican governor is saying, all right, this is so bad that you all have to resign immediately. Now, as for the racist sociopaths involved here, they actually issued a response and their defense is so wild that I don't even know how to describe it. So the McCurran County Sheriff's Office put out this statement on Facebook, and we're going to read the entire thing because it is that good. Quote, the last 72 hours have been amongst the most difficult and disruptive in recent memory. This is a very complex situation and one we regret having to address. There is and has been an ongoing investigation into multiple significant violations of the Oklahoma Security of Communications Act, Title 13, Chapters 176. 6.3 and 176.4, which states that it is illegal to secretly record a conversation in which you are not involved and do not have the consent of at least one of the involved parties. They're really burying the lead here to talk about how illegal it is to uh, record them. But anyways, they continue. There is a significant number of victims of this criminal activity, and it has taken significant effort and time to identify them and corroborate evidence. Many of these recordings, like the one published by media outlets on Friday, have yet to be duly authenticated or validated. Our preliminary information indicates that the media-released audio recording has, in fact, been altered. wonder if they're going to say uh, how. Spoiler alert, they're not going to. The motivation for doing so remains unclear at this point. Really? Really, the motivation is unclear? That matter is actively being investigated. In addition to being illegally obtained, the audio does not match the transcription of that audio and is not precisely consistent with what has been put into print. Multiple agencies are assisting in this ongoing investigation. As a result of the press release that went out on Friday, a large number of threats of violence, including death threats, have 
been made against county employees and officials, their families and friends. There will be continued press releases from this agency as the investigation comes to a close and findings are forwarded to the appropriate authorities for felony charges to be filed on those involved. Okay, my initial response to that is just absolutely mind-blowing their response is basically how dare you illegally record us plotting the assassination of journalists and black people how how do people like this exist like the audacity of these motherfuckers to put out that statement after they were caught in 4k plotting the assassination of journalists and it seems like they were seemingly i guess trying to cultivate sympathy because they received uh death threats in response to them openly discussing the murdering and disposal of the bodies of journalists that they didn't like. Look, you just, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. You you can't make this shit up, right? You can't make this shit up. Oh, and also, uh, the audio was altered according to them. Just admit that you were caught red-handed and resign. But they won't. At least at the time that I record this video, they have not stepped down. They are remaining defiant. So I really don't know what else to say about this story. I don't think that my commentary will do it justice here. Just when I thought that elected conservatives couldn't possibly surprise me, this audio gets leaked. And then uh, my mind is blown once again. And I've got to say this, but we need a total and complete shutdown of conservatism until we can figure out what the fuck is going on. Because holy shit, just when you think that elected officials have really sunken as low as they possibly could have they go and do this just again wow mind-boggling shit here questions came through about how can we stay motivated if we're not going to get a bonus what can we do what can we do some of them were nice and some of them were not so nice so i'm going to address this head on the most important thing we can do right now is focus on the things that we can control None of us could have predicted COVID. None of us could have predicted supply chain. None of us could have predicted bank failures. But what we can do is stay in front of our customers, provide the best customer service we can, get our orders out our door, treat each other well, be kind, be respectful, focus on the future because it will be bright. It's not good to be in a situation we're in today, but we're not going to be here forever. It is going to get better. So lead, lead by example, treat people well, talk to them, be kind, and get after it. Don't ask about, what are we going to do if you don't get a bonus? Get the damn $26 million. Spend your time and your effort thinking about the $26 million we need and not thinking about what you're going to do if we don't get a bonus. All right? Can I get some commitment for that? I would appreciate that. I had an old boss who said to me one time, you can visit Pity City, but you can't live there. So people leave pity cd let's get it done thank you have a great day that was andy owen the president and ceo of miller knoll which is an office furniture store and you just listened to her berate her employees after some of them reached out to her and told her that they lost motivation to keep working after learning that the company would not be giving out their annual bonuses that they were relying on. Now, that rant right there is incredibly rich, no pun intended, coming from her, considering that she still got her bonus. And she didn't just get a bonus the size of these employees. 
she got a very, very large bonus. As The Daily Dot explains, Andy Owen made just shy of $5 million last year with $1.2 million in bonuses. Holy shit. Nevertheless, she seemed irate at the notion that employees lacked motivation because of a lack of a potential lack of incentives. Lots of use of the word lack here in this article. Anyways, her company, Miller Knoll, is best known for producing office furniture, which has taken a hit during the pandemic. The company recently also closed the plant in Wisconsin, laying off 162 employees. Makes a lot of sense here. So bonuses for me, but not thee. See, I wonder if she'd be going to Pity City, as she put it herself, if the money that she expected and relied on didn't come to her. I wonder if she would lose a little bit of motivation. And look, most employees acknowledge that sometimes companies, they go through tough times, right? But when you claim that they're the ones who have to tighten their belt and the tough times affect them, but not you, that's when they take issue, right? Now, according to salary.com, the annual base salary for Miller Knoll employees is $63,490 on average, but it ends up being around $1,700 higher on average due to employee incentives and bonuses. So if bonuses are an expected part of your annual income and you rely on it, but you're no longer getting said bonus, you're just taking a pay cut full stop. But let's look at Andy's salary because her base pay is much more than the average employee. So it's over a million dollars. Her bonus is actually higher than her base pay at $1.3 million. And her total cash compensation is $2.4 million. That's what it was in 2022 alone, mind you. Now that's not taking into account the equity that she has in the company. But by comparison, her employees get paid crumbs. And after she announces that they're going to be getting slightly less crumbs, well, she then has the nerve to berate them for going to Pity City in the most smug rant imaginable. I need CEOs and elites to understand, not that they watch the humanist report, but if they're watching, if one of you happens to tune in, I need you to understand that if you're confused as to why there's been this sudden rise of popularity for socialism, this is why. If you're confused as to why so many people are talking about their desire to eat the rich, that right there is why. Because your greed is so brazen, so shameless, and your disregard for your own employees is so overt that it makes them hate you. It's not just that they're disillusioned with their job. Your actions lead to them cultivating an actual fucking hatred for you because you are so fucking greedy. Maybe they would understand if there were no bonuses because the company is experiencing a loss in revenue if you yourself did not take a bonus. That doesn't mean that they still wouldn't lose motivation or they wouldn't be discouraged. But the fact that they're losing a bonus, but you're still taking a bonus, it just, it goes to show you that you don't give a shit about these people. You know, if you were a decent human being, rather than accepting that bonus, and rubbing it in your employees' faces, you would take your bonus and distribute it to them. I don't know how many employees are part of this company, but I'd imagine that if you split $1.2 million, I mean, they would be happy with that. Maybe it wouldn't go as far as their usual bonus, but it's better than nothing. And again, when you're making so little money anyway, you rely on that extra income.
but they're losing it and you expect them to just take it on the chin while you yourself you don't have to experience what they're experiencing you still get your bonus it's just i mean what is there to say about this the commentary that i can provide you with won't do it justice this is rage inducing this is why we fucking hate you i mean everybody has these stories about the retailer that they work for the fast food company that they work for you know posting record profits but yet them not getting their annual raise because of inflation or the minimum wage increased in their state and it just these reasons are complete and utter horseshit and we know it and what makes matters worse is that these ceos think that their employees are stupid but they're not stupid and again this is why they hate you because of things like this, you genuinely don't care about them. You only care about yourself. You're exploiting them. And again, when you see these articles about Gen Z and millennials and more of the population being really intrigued by socialism and workers owning the means of production, you have yourselves to blame for making it popular. Because no amount of preaching by socialists like myself or Bernie Sanders is going to make it as popular as these CEOs being just openly greedy will. Seeing that is going to turn any reasonable person into a socialist because how could you not want something better when this is what we have to look forward to in perpetuity with this late stage capitalist hellscape that we're living in? There should not be one billionaire in America. None. And I'll tell you why. Because there is nobody that works hard enough to earn a billion dollars. And my argument is this. The two jobs I did in my life that were physically the most demanding and mentally the most difficult that I ever did paid me the least amount of money. One was going through buds, and I challenge any billionaire to put up with six weeks of that shit at $62 every two weeks, you know? And the second was right before I went in the Navy. I had a job with the Minnesota Highway Department, couple bucks above minimum wage. I worked for the bridge crew, and you know what my job was? I worked a four-day work week, 10 hours a day so I could have Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the weekend. You're 18, of course you're going to do that. But I worked 40 hours in four days on the bridge crew, and guess what I did? Ran the 80-pound jackhammer. I challenge any billionaire to, to run the jackhammer for 40 hours one week and tell me he works harder than that. No, he doesn't. That's why I believe there should not be a billionaire in the world. That was incredible. You just listened to former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura make a very simple yet compelling case against the existence of billionaires. And what he said there is apparently resonating considering the fact that that rant is now going viral on TikTok. And I think that the reason why it speaks to people so much is because it just makes sense on a visceral level. So consider this, the CEO to worker pay ratio was about 20 to one back in the 1960s. And since we are told that we live in a meritocracy, it's not true, but since we're told 
this, well, it makes sense to equate pay with productivity. So you'd have to assume that back then CEOs worked 20 times harder on average than just regular employees, which is a pretty insane proposition to accept in the first place, right? But consider this, since 1978, average CEO pay jumped by 1,460% according to the Economic Policy Institute, which means that CEOs are now paid 399 times more than average workers. Ask yourself, do you believe that CEOs are working 400 times harder now than they were in the 1960s? Does anyone actually believe that CEOs ever worked harder than average workers? I don't think so. But as absurd as that ratio is, most CEOs are not even billionaires. Sure, they're multi-millionaires, multi-multi-millionaires in some instances, but most of them are not actually billionaires. Billionaires are an even smaller subset of the population. In fact, the total number of billionaires is estimated to be 3,311, according to Visual Capitalist, with a plurality of them living in the United States, totaling 975 in total, mostly living in New York and California. Now, most of these individuals own multiple companies. We're talking empires here. So this includes the likes of Elon Musk, worth $151 billion, at least according to when this estimate was taken. Bill Gates, worth $106 billion. Warren Buffett, worth $97 billion. Jim Walton, worth $57.9 billion. Mark Zuckerberg, worth $57.7 billion. Now, billionaire is a word that gets thrown around a lot, and we all know that to be a billionaire means you have a metric fuck ton of money, which is an actual unit of measurement, by the way. I'm kidding, of course. But I want you to truly comprehend how much money that is, because it's difficult to visualize that amount of money. But what I want to do is share this video that is almost 10 years old. It went viral back in 2012, 2013, 2014, around that era. And it helped me realize just how enormous that amount of money is in actuality. So let's watch and then we'll discuss when we come back. Here is $100,000, Conrad. Here, that it is, there it is. That's a lot of money. That's okay. what we can hope at best to make in a year you know, doing really fucking well after taxes, that'd be crazy to make in a year, right? Right. That's a lot of money. All right. Now, we have someone named Amhai who is top Twitch donator of all time. He has like probably a billion dollars, right? Right. There are people in the world with a billion dollars regardless, okay? Anyways, a billion dollars, that's a big fucking number. We can see that there's a lot of zeros on top of the 100,000, <laughs> but we don't really feel it. You don't really feel it until you go like this. Maybe know it's 10,000 times more, but here. One, two, three, four, five. That's 500,000. Copy paste that. That's a million dollars, okay? Then we go, we have to go two, three, four, five. That's five million. Let's copy paste that. That's 10 million, okay? Let's copy paste the 10 million. That's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 million dollars, okay? Let's copy paste the 100 million. Okay, that's 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, 700, 800, 900, a billion dollars, okay? And now I'm I'm high and I'm gonna donate Soda Pop in $100,000 like this. Is that the delete key? Yeah. And now we're gonna try to find, we're gonna try to find the money that we're missing now. Okay? It's on the right. It's on the right, I see it. There it is. He saw it. It was right there. But it's kind of hard to feel it. If I put it somewhere in the middle, you guys probably wouldn't find it. But you know what? You wouldn't find it for sure. Let's donate 
two million dollars to my good friend Vinruki, and he could actually let's donate this. Let's donate fucking four million. He could probably live a swell life with four million dollars. Here, I'm I'm high. I'm giving Vinruki four million dollars real quick. Four million dollars. I actually do not notice it's gone. I can never find it again. It's really difficult, you know, because it's just lines missing. I'm not gonna count my lines. There's so many. Jesus fucking Christ. I could actually hold on. Let me real quick. Let me buy like the most expensive fucking Bugatti or like limited edition Lamborghini for two million dollars somehow. And let me just drive it over to like a valet. Let me leave it there. And I'm gonna get really drunk and I'm gonna just. Uh, I'm gonna go home with my friend, and I'm just gonna leave the Lambi Lambo there, man. I don't even want to pick it up, cause you know what? Next, next day, let's buy another one. Okay, we got another Lambo. It's cool. This one has a nice. I like yellow. You know what? I don't like yellow. I'm gonna buy green. Okay, green Lambo. Okay, you know, hold on. Let me just normal price Lambo. Let me buy a normal price Lambo for like five of my friends. It's like 300k. Okay, 300k there. One friend, two friend, three friends. Okay, let me buy it for the rest of you. There you go. You guys all have Lambos. Oh, wait, I want another Lambo for myself. Okay, there we go. We're chilling. Okay, let me see if I still have any money left. Hold on. Looks like I got a little bit. So that kind of helps to put it into perspective, right? When you're talking about a billion dollars, spending 100,000 is similar to us spending pennies. We don't even realize that we're missing those pennies. But then you scale that level of wealth to Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and they have more than 100 times that amount right there that we just watched. So we're talking about sums of money so incomprehensibly large that it could probably sustain someone for more than a thousand years if human beings could live that long. Like it would be difficult to spend all of that money even if you tried after you bought multiple mansions and multiple super yachts and a private jet and luxury uh, vehicles and a couple of sports teams and uh, you bought a private island or two and you took a trip to space, you would still have so much money left over that most of us wouldn't even have a taste of what that amount of wealth feels like. Now in truth, money is fake. We made it all up. But within the confines of our capitalist system, money is finite. It's a resource that is limited, which means that battle over resources by its nature is a zero-sum game. And billionaires earning more money is the direct result of exploitation and working-class people losing money. The empires that these individuals undemocratically lord over weren't built exclusively by them. Their workers are the ones who are responsible for their success. But regardless of how productive the workers are in these instances, despite them making capitalist owners like Elon Musk and Bill Gates rich, they don't get to share in the fruits of their labor. The rich people, the billionaires, they took it all. As Jesse Ventura was saying, it's impossible to work hard enough to earn a billion dollars. And he's right. So how exactly do people become billionaires in this current context? Well, if you can't feasibly earn that much, then they're not working hard. They're not working harder than anyone. So where does this money come from? Well, they steal it, obviously. And they keep getting an increasingly large share of the pie. And it's to the point where average workers... They don't even get a small slice of the pie. They don't even get crumbs at this point. What workers get is an infinitesimal amount compared to some of these CEOs. And the existence of billionaires isn't just problematic because their existence is inherently immoral. Their existence also poses a threat to democracy.
Because as the New York Times put it, the issue with billionaires is not that they're sociopaths, though certainly some are, it's that their power comes with no accountability. They dwell or don't dwell, as is often the case, above the clouds in super tall skyscrapers. They fly to private islands on private jets and do God knows what there. Their yachts remind us that no matter what the paperwork says, they're citizens of no nation. That if we try to fix them in place, they can just go elsewhere. They become in enamored of certain ideas, fixing African agriculture, resurrecting von Mises and Hayek, terraforming Mars, being the president, and can spend nearly unlimited sums in pursuit of making them a reality. Even if they fail at any or all of it, they will remain billionaires, and there's not much you can do about it. They're not elected to the role, so you can't vote them out of it. Very well said, in my opinion. So think about the implications of this, the implications of the existence of a billionaire. They can spend money to buy off politicians and entire political parties. They can take over massive news organizations. They can control social discourse by purchasing social media organizations. And these aren't just like hypothetical examples that I'm bringing up. We've seen it happen. These are things that they are doing currently, and there's nothing that we can do to stop them. If a billionaire decided to buy YouTube tomorrow, they could fundamentally change this platform that we all use and love, and there's really nothing that we can do about it. It's their world, and we're just living in it. Now, you might think, Mike, I mean, there are things that we can do. We can pass laws taxing them out of existence. We can have a wealth tax. We can invoke antitrust when they go on these purchasing sprees and try to rein in the amount of companies that they own. And look, you're right about that. I support all of these policies. But the problem is when they control government and media and social media, to say that this is a David versus Goliath situation would be an understatement. See, it's so hard to put the cat back in the bag once it's out. Once we allow human beings to accumulate that much wealth, well, that's a level of power that is almost impossible to rein in. And remember, in a capitalist system, wealth directly translates into power. So allowing people to get that rich in the first place, that's where we as a species, I think, went wrong. But despite the media manipulation and capitalist brainwashing that we've all been subjected to since we were children, people are beginning to comprehend that this is absurd. This entire system is genuinely absurd. And people are tired of living with crumbs while these rich fuckheads have it all. Hence why I think videos like the one that we watched are so popular. Because even if these billionaires hold more power than us, the biggest disadvantage that they face is that there's far less of them than there are of us. And once people realize the power that we have collectively at the macro level, well, that's when billionaires are really in trouble. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.